0: Welcome back to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I'm really excited to have today with me a very special guest, Melissa Ford. Melissa, welcome to my program.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here.
0: Well, I just finished reading Melissa's brand new book called Living Service, The Journey of a Prosperous Coach, and I'm really excited about talking with her about that today but let me just share a little bit of information about melissa before we get started she is a master business and life coach she's been in this work for 20 years and has experience working with both individuals and groups she works with high or excuse me fast rising coaches executives entrepreneurs and career changers and She really does have such a wonderful style and approach in being of service to others. I believe Melissa really lives the title of her book, Living Service, and she's going to make it more real for us today. The other thing she does that will be of interest to my listeners is she provides ongoing programs for coaches where she helps them with things like business mindset. Deepening their whole service, mentality, and focus, and increasing their profitability, so they have a really successful coaching practice so Melissa, let's get started right so the first thing I want to do is ask you to just tell us a little bit about your journey as
1: a coach and and what it's been like
0: to be in this profession
1: yeah well I started coaching really in the mid-90s. And I got started coaching back then because I I came to the coaching world because I struggled as a parent. I have a 30-year-old son. I have a soon-to-be 29-year-old daughter. And I really thought parenting would be easy. So I'm one of those people, I guess I'm kind of an outlier. I thought it would be easy. I thought I would just uh, tell my kids what to do. They'd go with the program. I was, that was not how it went down. And so I started uh, coaching because I realized I needed to, I needed to find another way to interact with my kids. And I realized it came back to me. So that's where the journey started. And back then, back in the day, when you would talk about limiting beliefs, people would want to know what religion you were referring to. It was that <laughs> far back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's where it started. And, and from there, I, I really, for about a dozen years, had a hobby. I didn't have a business. And then after that, um, I really made this decision I was going to go pro. And I hired a coach. You've had him on your Um, podcast Steve Chandler and he taught me the way he taught me about service he taught me about being a professional coach he taught me about um, learning and so many things so it's been a long journey but it's been really rewarding
0: well one of the things I admired about you in your book is your willingness to be vulnerable Uh, it was I can't say it was like one of these, um, you know, novels you can't put down, but it was a compelling book that I did have trouble putting down because of the way you told your story and how I related to so much of what you said. Even though I'm not a paid professional coach, I think anyone who runs a business can benefit because, as as you talked about having these enrollment conversations. I was thinking about sales conversations with people and the focus on being of service and and looking at how you can be helpful to them, to me, was just profound. And so I want us to go deeper with some of the concepts you talked about in the book, because my goal really with our interview today is give people some specific ideas that they can take out and use, but also Make them want to get the book so mm. they can really go deeper than we're going to have time to do today. Um, one of the concepts that you talked about that I really identified with was the acronym, acronym HOW, H-O-W. So would you talk about each one of those elements and why it's important for a coach to know about?
1: Sure. So, the acronym HOW comes from the, uh, at least my, how I got a hold of it, comes from the AA world. And I had been involved in an intervention with a friend, and a story came back to me about how he had asked a question about how do I get sober? And the interventionist had said, it's easy. You just show up how, honest, open, and willing. That's what you need to do. There isn't any magic trick but if you show up like that, you can do anything. And I remember when I heard that, I thought, ooh, that applies to me too. And if my friend can handle his addiction and live a sober life with how, well, what could I possibly do with it? I started using that acronym as almost like my my guide. And I would self-coach, I would ask myself, where was I being honest with myself and others? And often um, it was unconscious, it was totally subconscious that I wasn't being honest. So I would reflect on that. I would really assess, was I being open? Or was I just, yeah, 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 I know that, I know that. And close to it, you know, I knew something, but I wasn't open to learning something new. And then the other part was, willing. Am I willing to do whatever it's going to take? Not am I willing to protect my ego? Am I willing to be right? Am I willing to look like I've got it together? Am I willing to be the expert? No. Am I willing to do whatever I need to do? And often that question, there'll be some discomfort because I know um, it's not going to necessarily turn out how I want, but I will learn. So that's where it comes from. And I just love it. It's so simple. It's so clean. And it's what I see as a really coachable mindset.
0: That's a great way to put it. And I really want to ask you to tell the story related to the um, open part. Because Steve um, Chandler, as you mentioned, he was on episode eight. Of my podcast, but he gave you a a kind of a challenge, an experiment to run, and uh, with a certain sentence to use. And I think that that would be very
1: enlightening for our listeners to hear about that story. Yeah. Um, So Steve's been my coach for the last 10 years. And uh, over time, the beauty of having a longer term coaching relationship with a coach is that you can just really get right to it. Yes. They know you very well, you know them. And so that's how this experiment came about. I had showed up to a coaching conversation and I was thinking, well, what am I gonna bring to this? Now, he coaches me in growing my business, but he has really shown me that when my personal life improves, my business life improves. And I didn't know that when I first started working with him, I did not want to talk about anything personally. All I wanted to do was make money now. Help me make money now. Oh, and if that includes service, I guess I'll learn about that too, but I want to make money. That was the whole point. So here we are in this particular session and I decide to bring up something I actually know he's not going to be able to coach me on. It will be impossible. And what it is, is what I call the jab fest. And it's this way that my husband and I have had with interacting with one another, which is, and he always seems to start it first, my husband. He'll make a comment that feels like a jab or an attack or some slight, and then I'll jab him back, and then we go at it. Now, there's no name calling, there's no swearing, it's just the "Mm -mm, pick, pick sort of thing. So I bring this to the conversation because I'm sure Steve can't deal with it. And he says to me, which um, this is one thing I love about him. He knows my ego well enough that his comment to me is this. Well, you know, Melissa, I have an idea, but you don't have to do it. (laughs) And, you know, and I think, well, I spend way too much money and I put in way too much time getting coached. Are you kidding me? Tell me what it is. So he says, here's what I want you to do. The next time you sense your husband's jabbing at you, Stop doing whatever you're doing. Go over to him and listen to what he has to say. Now, there's a special way I want you to listen. I don't want you to say anything. Don't think about what you would say. Don't think about a comment. Don't just listen. And when he's done telling you everything that's wrong with you, say to him, you know, I can be like that. So Meredith, I hear this and I think, are you kidding me? This <laughs> is Like, this is the last thing that I want to do. So I sarcastically say, yeah, well, that sounds fun. Anything else? And he adds, oh, thank him. Like, okay, fine. I'll do it. So a couple of weeks pass. My husband comes home. He's not in a great mood. I'm tired too. It's eight o'clock at night, whatever it is. And I start feeling this familiar feeling of like I'm under attack. And I, all of a sudden it dawns on me. Oh my gosh, it's arrived. It's time. I'm exhausted. I've worked all day long. He's not in a great mood now. Here we go. So I told my coach I would do it. And I go to the back room and I sit next to my husband and he's looking at CNN or ESPN. And he's looking at the, TV, and he's looking back at me and back and forth and back and forth, and he's telling me these familiar criticisms. Now, I know that the the challenge or the offering here by my coach is to listen, so I'm listening, and I can see the frustration and the exhaustion on his face. I can see he's really troubled, and he finally finishes, and it really felt like My big old ego was dying, but I said to him, you know, I can be like that. From this very humble place. Because there were a few zings in there, so I knew there was some truth to it. And he looks from the TV and back at me, and he's just, he's got this incredulous look on his face. He says, you know, you don't have to be so hard on yourself. (laughs) I just went, what? And then I... Almost got up and left, but I remembered I was supposed to thank him. So I, I thanked him. And I walked out of there. I was thinking, now what? And later, my husband Brian comes into the kitchen, and he's in a fine mood, and he's opening up the refrigerator, dancing in front of it. And he looks over me and he says, do you need a hug? Are you okay? So I kind of took the hug. I took the hug. But what I really saw was that... Um, the only thing I had ever been reacting to was my thinking about my husband. And in that moment, when I didn't have any thought, I didn't have any reaction. All I had was a lot of compassion because I could see how consumed he was with what he was thinking about me, but it it was and wasn't about me. And I could have some compassion for it because i have been in the same place. That was a major turning point for me because I realized The degree to which I would personalize things would be the degree to which I always suffer.
0: Oh, that's that's the story. That is profound. That's, And it's so true. Our egos jump in and get in the way and we feel like we've got to defend ourselves because what they're saying can't be true. We want to not think that we're capable of, of that. And yet by you owning it, it totally disarmed him he yeah. was expecting the typical interaction and didn't get the, the 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 same response he normally got from you
1: yeah yeah it's very true and i that profound statement i made i learned that from my coach too and i but but what was great it was instead of it being told to me i actually saw it and that's where transformation takes place it doesn't take place through reading a book or it, it can, but it, it really shows up when you're willing, honest, open, and willing to go and do something and have the experience. And I saw it and I have not unseen it since then. And since then, um, I'm much more aware that the source of whatever's going on for me is my thinking has nothing to do with my husband. And it, we, our relationship is better for it. Um, he's also quicker to apologize. He doesn't really go down, you know, go down that path. And, and honestly, we don't do the jab fest anymore. And, and it's because of what I saw.
0: The application of that story that you just shared is so profound to me that we can apply that in our homes with our spouses, children, but also with our clients with anyone that um, we have a relationship with that matters to us. Because it's often, don't you think, the people that are closest to us, or that we feel closest to, that we give the most power to in terms of caring what they say and reacting to it. Because we just, there's a history of interactions that comes into play. And so that, (laughs) again, your whole honest, open, and willing to me, all three of those really play into being willing to be more effective in situations like
1: that. Absolutely. And you're right. This can be applied to clients, prospective clients, colleagues, friends. And what it really does is it, 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 it blows up the scorecard. Like, you know, the history, right? I got my scorecard. Well, if you put that down, uh, you now have the possibility of engaging with someone in a really connected way human to human and the scorecard's not there anymore you're not reacting to your scorecard so i agree that's great that's good well let's move into another
0: area that you write extensively about in the book related to learning and stages of learning Mm -hmm. for a coach or consultant talk about those a little bit and and tell us a little bit about your own journey as you went through those.
1: Okay. Yeah. So I, um, I really struggled to create a profitable business. I didn't know how to serve. I didn't know how to have sales conversations, enrollment calls. I didn't know how to do that. And so it was made even more challenging because of all of the self-judgment that I heaped on top. And really, honestly, not even quite aware of how much. It was just kind of, you know, rumbling beneath the surface. And I had stories about um, I can't do something, or I've come to the game too late, or I don't have a business background. I had all of this going on, which just muddied the learning waters. And what I came to find out after I had been a little bit further down my learning path about service and about creating clients I discovered that there was a um, three-stage process. It's actually something that um, Matthew Ricard had come up with. He's a Buddhist monk, and I can get a little bit into him later. But he said that there's three stages to learning meditation. Well, my coach had said, hey, there's three stages to learning anything. So stage one is where you jump in and you try something, and it doesn't work. And for me, that was jump in and really try to be helpful to somebody and then uh, have them become a client. Well, it didn't work. So you might try again, and I did a couple of times. And then after a while, you start to think to yourself, either something's wrong with me or this thing doesn't work. Well, at that point I decided something was wrong with the thing with what I was getting taught, so I headed off in a detour and I started doing all kinds of things trying to sell my coaching. That didn't work either. So, stage stage 1 is you try something and it doesn't work out. Stage 2 is you may have taken a detour, but if you've gotten back on your learning path, you get to stage 2 and It's a ball of chaos and confusion, but this is where creativity resides. This is where you're gonna roll up your sleeves and you're gonna practice. You're gonna keep practicing and practicing. And over time, it's gonna get easier. And practicing means you're gonna make mistakes, you're gonna succeed, you're gonna make the same mistake again, you're gonna make a different mistake, you're gonna do all kinds of things. So there's a lot of ego bruising if you decide to go there. And sometimes it, it happens, but for the most part, you even get better at learning because now you're on the field, you're practicing and you're doing whatever it is that you want to learn. And you stay with that. Uh, I think in the book I said it was like the old adage of, you know, the, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. That's kind of, it's the up and down. Mm-hmm. If you long enough, you'll get to stage three, which is mastery, which is it's more natural, feels more natural. Um, you, it almost seems like you've been doing this your whole life. People might say to you, gosh, you know, you seem so natural at it. And you're like, oh no, you should have seen what it looked like before. And and then there's more learning there because learning never ends. There's more, uh, you'll see more, there's more nuance, there's more possibility. You can up your game. You can get better as a coach in your coaching and in your service and in your selling of your services. So- that's for me, it was really useful to know about the three stages, because it took me out of this story of what's wrong with me, Why is this taking so long? I'm in the remedial group. you know, I'm watching all these coaches, young coached less than me, remember because I coached back in the day. They're taking off their, you know, they're like these little airplanes doing stunt tricks. I'm the 777 rumbling down the, the runway. So it just it just took all of the personal out, and it normalized what the learning process is. And and then I just realized, wow, if I fall in love with learning, what's possible? So that that's that's what I offered in the book that helped me tremendously.
0: Yeah, I think that because um, I've been such an avid lifelong learner. But there has been that time when I think, you know, I ought to arrive, right? (laughs) But you never get to the end of it. There's always lots more to learn and there's mistakes that you're going to make. I'm just curious, though, if you have any thoughts about if someone wants to really accelerate their learning so they don't get stuck in stage one or stage two for an extended period of time, do you have any tips or suggestions on how they could move more quickly to get to stage three?
1: Yeah. So a, a couple, one would be, and, and this is just my preference and other coaches and consultants that I've seen, your growth can get accelerated if you hire a coach. And the reason being is because you can't see yourself. You can't see what's going on. You know, you're swimming in your own little pool and you're not aware of how you're coming off. You're not aware of a lot of people call it your blind spot. You just can't see it. Mm -hmm. So the story I told earlier about, yeah, I'm going to bring the jab fest. Steve's not going to be able to figure this one out. Well, it was really obvious to him now, but for that coaching, I got to tell you, I don't think I would have arrived at that place. And what I've discovered, and this is uh, something that really still continues to blow my mind because I've been coached for 10 years, is that I feel like in 10 years, I've grown 30. The growth is incredible. I can look back three months ago, six weeks ago, I'm not the person I am today. Now that's freedom. That's aliveness. That's expansion. That's just this amazing self-expression. So one would be get a coach. And I was somebody who was not going to get a coach because to ask for help was evidence that I wasn't capable. And you have a growth mindset. That's incredible. I showed up with the most fixed mindset there ever was. I truly feel that way. So I had to unlearn that. But that's one thing. Another thing would be um, keep, keep prioritizing your coachability. What I mean by that is, like I said earlier, make it a priority that you're going to stay open, you're gonna be honest, and you're gonna go do things that, um, even if there's some discomfort there, you can handle emotion, it's gonna come and go, just go have the experience. There's so much more I can do than I thought I was capable of, Mm -hmm. because I would stop myself. So really, those two things, prioritize your your coachability or developing a growth mindset and get somebody to help you, somebody in your corner that you'll stay open to um, what they have to say and, and you'll go and take what they've offered and go and test it out. Make it, you know, roll your sleeves up real learning.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, when you think about it, someone who is coaching others, a natural question from a prospect, seems like it would be, and so do you have your own coach? And, yeah, and if so, the right? person says no, then it's like, well, then why do I need a coach? <laughs> so yeah. it, it seems to me that that's a, an, an important aspect of being a coach or consultant too, so to have another person who can serve as that. Um, sounding board and kind of growth accelerator and accountability person for you so that you stay on track and accelerate your own learning.
1: Yeah, that's it. And I'll tell you to have somebody that's not a family member or a friend, because I mean, how many of us like to be told by our spouses or our children what we need to change? Oh, Not no. any of us, right? right.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I think working with someone that has, Those skills and the experience to to has tuned in um, and trained to be tuned in to picking up little things and being able to provide insights. I mean that itself is a is a real important skill for someone coaching. So you can't just ask anyone to to be your coach if you want to accelerate at the rate that is going to allow you to really be at your maximum. One of, the, one of the other things, though, because I've, I've worked with, gosh, consultants and coaches for like 25 years as they've used our software and have had lots of conversations around business development. And one of the things you talked about in your book that I know they will relate to is this fluctuation in income. You, you get a full book of clients, whether it's working in an organization or working with a lot of individuals and you're intensely delivering your services while you're fully booked and then you come to the end of the engagements and now what i don't have so you're you're stuck and it sounded like you went through that cycle a number of times and then you figured out how to solve that problem would you talk about that a bit
1: sure sure well as an entrepreneur um that's a problem that you want to get a handle on because if you're inside of a business, and again, it, it, it depends on how you're getting paid. If it's not just 100% commission, inside a business, even if you're not, you don't have a book of business and you have to ramp back up, you're still getting paid. You may be being paid less, but there's still some money rolling in. What I discovered was that um, I, I was operating under this misunderstanding that if I got really good as a coach, then people would naturally want to hire me. Well, they don't. I had to get good also at the sales piece and I started getting really good at that. I was, I was improving and then I got to the place where I had a book of business and I sat back and I thought, this is great. You know, money's in the bank. I'm coaching the thing that I love to do. This is great. And then I would wake up exactly what you said to where is everybody and I don't have any money. So this whole notion of inconsistent income started. Well, Then what occurred was it happened so many times that I realized why did I stop having conversations with people? Why did I stop selling? And I realized that I thought, well, I had this myth that again, people would just naturally come to me and I realized I needed to set up my calendar where I had ongoing space on a weekly basis to keep talking to people. And that if I could keep talking to people and deliver my coaching, then I could keep consistency in my business. I could, I could stay consistent because I'm 100 percent commission-based. And then I just got into that practice, and I created a system where didn't you know I, I had X amount of clients, but I also required that I had X amount of conversations per week. and I just committed to it and I practiced that system. So in the book I talked about, I called it my Sisyphus system, where I'd roll the boulder up the hill, and I'm like, yeah, I'm killing it. And then everybody would, would finish with me, and then I would be desperate and needy, and oh, I got to make money, and then all the stories would start back up. So I decided to take that wrinkle out of it. And everybody can do that too. There's questions in the book you can ask yourself. And those are
0: excellent. Uh, to me, that's worth investing in the book, the questions that you ask people about their
1: current systems. Yes. Yeah. And what I love about current systems is that it takes, again, the personal out of it. This isn't about me and that I'm a loser and why did I do it again? And I should have seen it coming. And how long is this going to take me? It's just, oh, I need to tweak the system.
0: Yes. And I'd love that about um, your own uh, journey, Melissa, because there were so many things you talked about in terms of the like an undercurrent of self-criticism and that self-judgment. And I could feel myself relaxing as I was reading what you wrote because I related to it. And I'm guessing a lot of folks who read it will also identify with that desire or, or need, you know, to get it right. Yeah. And, and yet it's different for each person. So it's what kind of a system do each of us need to create and stick to in order to keep that um the cash flow steady and the clients coming in steadily
1: so that you're not sitting there from it's it's not feast and famine exactly and it doesn't have to be there is this myth that there's the ups and downs to business well yeah sometimes you get a windfall sometimes the client leaves but if you have the system in place, you're good to go if you keep practicing it. And you're right. It depends on the individual. What kind of business do you want? And then you can design that system and stay conscious to it because it is a living system. So as you evolve, the system's going to have to change. So I have a lot of people who come to me and they want to rework their system. They want to have more time on their calendar but they want to, and fewer clients, but they want to make the same amount of money or more or they, um, they've been just grinding and grinding away and they finally say to themselves, why am I living like this? I'm not even enjoying my family or the money that I bring in. What, how can I redesign this so it truly serves me, serves me, serves my business and the people who um, have hired me?
0: Yeah, that balance between serving yourself and serving your clients I thought was also very effective. I'd love for you to talk since the name of your book is Living Service. I'd like you to talk a little bit about what do you mean when you say service? What does that look like in terms of what someone actually does with a potential client or with a client?
1: Yeah. Well, for me, service, um, it, when I first learned about it, 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 I was given this question, how can you help and over time it evolved, it changed because I, that's, the, that's where I started. How can I help? And it changed because I started to see things that I could change internally that would make my service stronger. So for instance, how can I help today um, might look like so I'm, I'm right now I'm, running a, um, I'm filling a small group for coaches, and it's, for, it's called Intentional Prosperity for Coaches. It's about this piece about serving your business and keeping your income consistent. Well, today, filling this group, there are coaches who come to mind. And to be in service to, say, a coach by the name of Dave, the highest form of service I can do is I can email him and tell him about the program and tell him why I'm sending it to him. So the focus is off of me when it comes to service and it's on the other person and whatever I can do to continue to increase that level of service, whether it's my professionalism as a coach or knowing uh, being direct in a way that, Um, Let's the person understand what I'm saying so they don't have to connect the dots. So so I'm kind of being general here. I don't have a specific, but it's more about um, how do I keep the focus on the other person and help them and continue to deliver in ways that I know are going to make a difference and ultimately lead to the highest form of service, which is a paid coaching relationship. Because I can't help you unless we're working together together. I'm getting paid, you're paying, and you've got skin in the game. I don't know if that answers it for you, Meredith. Yes,
0: but it also makes me think about this whole idea of mindset. And yeah. um, you write about some of the coaches that you have worked with who feel like service means giving it away free. Yes. And so what are some of the ways you've needed or you have found coaches um, need to adjust their mindset, um, in other words, where they are and where they could be in order to have a really successful practice?
1: Yeah, so I see, I see three areas. One is just really getting a firm understanding of what service means to them. And it could simply be, how can I help? That's fine. Now, now where does your ability to help get diluted? What happens? Well, there's usually two areas. One is you're showing up much more social with the focus on you, concerned about, do they like me? How am I coming off? Um, I hope I'm not offending anybody. I wonder if my fee's too high, too low. Will they hire me after this conversation? So I'm so me-focused that my service now is kind of this hollow shell of whatever I'm doing because I'm so self-absorbed. And now... I've prioritized me rather than helping you. So coaches get caught in what I call social land or social self. And when they upgrade and they learn how to be the authentic version of themselves in a way where they are professional serving somebody else, they're still warm, they're still friendly, but the focus isn't about them anymore. So that's one area. And that took me some time because My social self would show up in my emails and my texts, in my, uh, how I showed up on a phone call. And I had to learn how to develop this professional self. And what was great about it was that my coach said, everybody has to learn that. And I just thought again that, oh, well, that person's just really naturally good at it. They had actually mastered it. Mm -hmm. So there's that piece. And then the other piece is, the coach's relationship to money. That's a biggie. And yeah. And what does it mean? What, what if I charge X dollars and you say you can't afford that, what does that mean about me that I don't help you? And maybe I charge too much or there's just so much mental clutter and I had it and it can still show up around money. And I just, want to become clearer and clearer about that if I deliver value what I get in response because this is the world we live in is I get paid cash I get paid money that's how it works so I don't want to get caught up in that I want to really look at what can I do to help and if they want more here's what it here's what it costs this is what we'll do do you want to do that So it's just developing those mindsets around those two things, me as a professional and my relationship to money.
0: Well, and it seems to me too, the way you describe the kinds of uh, conversations you have with people where you're really looking for how can I help them Mm -hmm. in this moment in a way that they feel served that you really had were looking out for them, then they are really inspired to want more of that Mm -hmm. because so few people have those skills and have the ability to give in that way. And so I think when you're focused on them and not yourself, as you said, and they sense that, they want more of that. And so the
1: next natural step
0: is figure out how can we work together?
1: That's it that's it. Something also that helped me was to realize that I want to be in service to other people, but I'm also running a business. So I'm in service to my business. And a lot of coaches never reach that level. They they reach this place of they give give and give and give and give and give, and then feel really disappointed if somebody doesn't hire them or angry about it. And it leads into this inappropriate overgiving and they get lost in now it's personal. And I've somehow, you know, it means something about me that they didn't hire me. But if you slow it down down a little bit, start to see, well, you're good at serving other people, but what do all profit? what What do all businesses that thrive have in common? They have a profit. They make a profit. Otherwise they can't keep their doors open. So I want to redirect coaches and entrepreneurs and consultants and say, Hey, You've got a business, be in service to the business, which means it's got to make a profit. You've got to know your end game, which is making money, creating clients. You need to be direct so that, um, my husband would say, you're not playing footsie. <laughs> like they need to understand. And then you want to take more of the personal out of it because then, it, then if you, the more personal you take out of any business, the more fun the business becomes. And I am just, I'm, I'm learning that more and more. That's my ongoing development. And it's so much fun to see, wow, you know, if I run my business 5% more like a business, what's the next thing I'm going to do? Great question. Right? I'm going to yeah. get on this podcast and not one that talks to people about their love relationships. So I guess I could, but you know what I mean? So it's sure. just, it's just, It makes running a business so much more enjoyable when I'm serving my business. Yes. Yes.
0: And that I think is an excellent question to ask uh, in looking at choices because we all have so many choices of how we can spend our time in the course of a day. And I know I've been guilty at times of being busy, very, very busy, but not productive. And so it's the idea of is this action or this use of my time going to take me closer to what it is that I want to achieve or help me grow my business. So I love that question that you had. And as we get closer to wrapping up, you touched on this phrase, slowing down. And I just love that because of course, Steve Chandler talks about that in his books as, as well. I liked the way you addressed it because you were clear about what it's not slowing down. In regards to and also what it is. So, talk a little bit about what it's not and what it is.
1: Yeah. Um, so, every, um, especially in the beginning, almost every other word out of Steve's mouth, and, and I say the beginning when we start, started coaching was, how can you serve? How can you help? That, those were those questions were going on. The other one was, well, let's slow this down. Now, in my mind, slowing down meant taking extended naps on the couch. It meant staring out the window and drooling. It meant, I, I don't know what, it, it, you know, having a spa day, a bath with candles and chocolate. I'm like, I'm not into this. I don't want to slow down. And I, I was trying to make it clear to him. And then I realized, well, it wasn't clear to me. Slowing down for me meant slowing my mind down, relaxing my mind, because when I've got all this what I like to call noise pollution going on, all this thinking and I'm, I'm, I'm analyzing and I'm caught in my thinking, all this is going on. I have no room for any kind of creativity. I have no ability to connect with anybody because I'm so caught in my head. So for me, slowing down was to relax and quiet my mind. Now, a lot of people don't wanna do that. We're taught about multitasking. We're hearing now, not such a great idea because it's not how our brains work, but people get so revved up that this notion of slowing down seems like it's being irresponsible. Mm-hmm. So I have a daughter who lives in New York and she was, trying, she was running an email by me for a potential sales conversation and the person didn't want to get together because he had just too much going on. His, he, had an unscat, he had a scattered calendar. And that's everybody. And it seems so counterintuitive. Wait a second, I, I am so far behind the eight ball and you want me to slow down? That's crazy. Well, what I've discovered, and you have to be willing to test, is that if you slow your mind down and you just say, just like you said, Meredith, what's, what's the one thing right now that i've got to handle and all the mental clutter goes away you can handle that easily you're you're engaged you're really into it you get it done and it takes less time and you come out the other end calm and inspired and what's the next thing so that's slowing down and anybody listening to this if your first thought about that is boy that's just not a great idea really slow down and, and experiment with it. Just, just see, I use it all the time and it's, it's, it's like a superpower now.
0: Yeah. When we start feeling like I've got to do this this and this and this and this and this, that is the very time it seems counterintuitive that we do need to slow down because we're overwhelming ourselves and feeling Uh, almost like a victim oh I can't do everything I need to do and if we can slow down and realize what's the most important thing to do first that relieves a lot of the stress we're putting on ourselves because it's when you look at outside you know it's nothing out there that's doing this to us it's all what we do to our own heads
1: that's it so when I hear about stressful environments and this work stresses me out all I can think of is gosh I, I wish I um I, I wish I had a magic wand and I could just get somebody to see it has nothing to do with that. It's all self-imposed. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the thing on the list to do is if my mind is so revved, um, I did it the other day. I went for a walk. I had all this stuff to do, and I'm like, you know what? I need to chill out. I need to just settle down. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, we could
0: talk, I know, for another hour, but um, it's uh, time to wrap up. So what I'd like to do is ask you to tell our audience, how can they learn more about you, the services you offer,
1: and especially get your wonderful book, Living Service? Thank you. Well, of course, good old Amazon, right? You can just go over there and type in Living Service, Melissa Ford. you can find it there. And if you want to know more about me, my website is melissafordcoaching.com. You can go on there. You can look. But the best, and there's also, you can type in if uh, you, know, you want to send me something, a message, and, and I'm happy to get back to you.
0: That's great. Well, thank you, Melissa. And I highly recommend picking up a copy of her book. It's really wonderful. We just touched on a few areas of it, and I think it's something every coach really ought to own and review often because there's so much richness there. So thank you again, Melissa, for being with me today. It's been just such a pleasure to get to talk to you.
1: Thanks, Meredith. I've had a great time. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance
0: podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com to learn how our tools can increase your impact with clients and expand your business. And while you're there, grab our free ebook, The Five Secrets to Getting Better at Anything. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell. Make it a great day.